Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to John 17. We're going to be in John 17 this morning, and we're beginning a new series called Blessed by Jesus. You know, last week, uh, we had a small meeting here after the service. You know, we're doing a, uh, I'm calling it a spiritual pilgrimage to uh, Europe next fall, where we're going to go to the Czech Republic and Germany and see uh, and learn about the reformers like Martin Luther and John Huss and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the the, uh, World War II era. But it's it's a time for us to kind of go and learn about how certain people, uh, you know, stood up courageously with conviction against the uh, the, the, the world that they lived in. And I believe that we live in a world where courage and conviction is needed today. And the whole reason that we're going is not because I'm looking for a vacation in August to Germany, okay? I want you to know that. That, that was a laugh line, guys. I'm just... <laughs> I mean, it's great. We're going to have a lot of fun. But here's, here's why we're doing this trip. Because about 15 years ago, for the first time, I went to Germany with my brother and my dad who were looking into missions. And I remember going with them and just seeing uh, the cultural landscape and just seeing, you know, being in a, meeting pastors and go, visiting churches where, where less than 2% of the population are evangelical born-again Christians. And then, and then going to places in church history where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses and going to the castle where he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There was, just, there was something about being in those moments that, that had an impact on me. I grew from that. I, I, it was truly amazing. I was blessed by that experience. And over the years, if I, as I've led different groups over there to experience different kinds of Reformation trips, every single time I go there's a blessing I receive in return. And so so the reason why I do it is because I have been blessed. I want others to be blessed. You know, this idea of being blessed by Jesus, we're starting this new series. Uh, We have adopted the blessed strategy for how we are going to engage in the Great Commission. You know, our name, our life name is an acronym for how we define a disciple. We want to live in community. We want to invest in growth, become like Jesus. We want to you know, uh, fulfill our purpose uh, to, to, to serve God in his kingdom. And we want to engage in the Great Commission. Well, how we engage the Great Commission sometimes is confusing. And so we've adopted the BLESS strategy. And BLESS is another acronym that stands for Begin With Prayer. You just saw the video of it. Listen, eat or exercise with someone, serve them, and then share Jesus. And it's just a simple way of how we can engage people who do not know Jesus. But here's what I want you to know. I could teach this series of saying, hey, this is strategic. This is is simple. Uh, It's even biblical. But there's something deeper that I want us to learn and grow from and why I think the motivation for us to adopt the blessed strategy. Because you don't have to live out the blessed if you don't want to. But here's what I know. Jesus was the one who did all these things for us. The reason why we call this series Blessed by Jesus is because each and every one of us, Jesus began praying for us. Jesus listened for us. Jesus has has come and experienced humanity with us. He has served us as, as perfectly, and he has shared his life with us. Listen, this the reason why we want to live out the blessed strategy with others is because we ourselves have been blessed by Jesus. Jesus, we have received something from him that hopefully we want to share with others. And so we're going to be going through the next five weeks. This is our our, our series. Today is about B, begin with prayer. Because here's what I know, 
is that usually the starting point of all things should begin with prayer. Jesus is going to model this in John 17. I want you to see this this prayer, because Jesus prayed all the time. One of the things that we see throughout Jesus' life, I mean, he, he prayed, you know, he'd go off in the dark and pray before everyone rose, uh, you know, the disciples were always trying to find him. He prayed before he selected the 12 disciples. He, he prayed after the feeding of the 5,000. He prays before he goes to the, to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. And right here, at, in the upper room discourse, this is the final moments that Jesus has with his disciples before the cross. And he ends his time there teaching them about who he is and what he's about to do. And he closes this time with prayer. And in his prayer, here's what's so fascinating. He, he closes his prayer by praying for you. He prays for you. I want you to see this. Look, look what it says in verse 20 of chapter 17. I do not ask, again, he just end up, he's praying for his disciples. And then verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. See, we 2,000 years later are part of the people that who will believe. So this prayer that Jesus prays is for you. When Jesus prayed this almost 2,000 years ago, he had us in mind when he's praying this prayer. So that means that Jesus began, the movement he started with his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he is, is continued on through the power of the Spirit and through prayer. And so we begin with prayer because Jesus began with prayer. I want us to see what Jesus prays for in this prayer to help us to know how we should pray and why we should pray. Because I believe if we're going to begin with prayer, we've got to figure out why we're doing this in the first place. But here's the main idea I want you to see. Here's the main idea of the text that, that, we're, that is before us, and that is this. Prayer makes the impossible possible. Prayer makes the impossible possible. The things that Jesus is going to pray for in this prayer are things that are impossible for you and I to achieve. When we talk about our vision statement, you know, we just, we just uh, announced our new vision statement seven weeks ago, that, that we exist so that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. That is an impossible vision apart from the power of God. It is. We can't do it. And so Jesus is going to pray some things that we need to align our hearts with to make sure that we are praying the way Jesus prayed. Because what Jesus prayed for is his heart. It's his desire. So I want you to see this. Look what he says in verse, uh, verses 21 through 23. And I want you to look for key themes, key words that, are, that Jesus mentions over and over again. So let's, let's read this. Verse 21. This is, so he's not only praying for the disciples, but for them who will believe through, through the word of the disciples. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and, the, and loved them, even as you loved me. Okay, any key words that you see repeated over and over again in that passage, what is it? Let's do it again. What's the word? One. Three times Jesus prays that the disciples, us in this room, his followers, post his resurrection, that they would be one. 
Why is Jesus praying? You think about this. He could have prayed about a lot of things. There's a lot of things. If you're in that moment, you've got, you've got a short time left. I'm praying for the future disciples who will live out these disciples for generations, for thousands of years. And there's two things that he prays for in this passage. And the first one is oneness. Oneness. Why is this so important to Jesus? Well, well so the first point is that prayer fuels oneness. Prayer fuels oneness. Jesus is praying this because he knows, again, oneness is impossible apart from him. You know, you go back to the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, God creates everything good, very good. He creates man and woman, and he, he makes this declaration in the very beginning. He says, uh, that the, the two, I, I created husband and wife. They will leave their father and mother, and they will cleave to one another that they may become one. Two becoming one. That's the vision. That's the, that's the picture of marriage. And we see this. It's, it's, a, it's an overflow of the, of the Trinitarian reality that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three persons in one. So God is about oneness. He's about unity. He's about c- community and fellowship. He is about closeness. And yet what happens in the Garden of Eden is the moment Satan, the serpent, shows up, and he deceives Adam and Eve to take of the bite of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The moment God confronts Adam and Eve, what happens? She, did, she made me do it. This woman you gave me, God, all of a sudden, what happened to the oneness? It's broken. And ever since that moment, humankind has been fracturing over and over and over again. We break up into our tribes, in our groups, and in, in our identities now are broken down into this is now who I am. And we do this over and over and over again. We do it through class. I'm better than you because I was born. It, it, maybe there's not so much the class system we feel here in America, but there is a class system in other parts. You think of India, you think of England. It's a very pronounced class system. Maybe the, maybe the, the division is education, how educated you are. We divide over race and ethnicity. This is true across the world. We've seen this in our, in our, in our world today. We divide, over, we divide over gender. We divide over sexuality. Everything that we can look at ourselves and say, this is going to define who I am, people now will say, this part of me makes me better than you. Now, here's what I recognize, and here's what we all recognize. The world does an amazing job of recognizing that there is a problem. Right? We, we, sh- we do too. The world recognizes there is a problem in our world today where people in power will use their power to abuse people not in power. Right? We see this. And the world can recognize it and the world is able to recognize this along with us. But here's the problem. The world can't give a solution. The world can't give a solution for oneness. Every solution that the world gives for oneness breaks down. And here's what we do as, as human beings. What we tend to do, every single thing that, we, that, that God has made sacred. Now, now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. One of the things that it says in there is that it, before God, in heaven, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people will be before him. You know what that means? That means every race and ethnicity is sacred before God. Sacred before God. It means there's no, no one is greater than the other. Because each one of us is an expression of our our racist ethnicity that is a sacred design by God. Also, we have gender. Gender is a sacred 
designed by God. How we were knit in our mother's wombs and our birth as designed by God as sacred. Our, our sexuality is sacred. You know, one man, one woman, under the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. That is God's design, and that is sacred. The danger comes when we want to start saying, well, this is better than that. This, this version of sexuality is better than that version. This gender is better than this gender. This, this, uh, this race is better than that race. See, when the world tries to solve the problems, they try to solve the world's problems with power. And what does Jesus say? He says, they may be one as I and the Father are one. Look what he says in, in, verse, in, verse, uh, in verse 22, okay? The, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. The, the answer, the, the, the reason why there can be oneness amongst all the differences that the world sees and creates is because of the love of Jesus Christ. Because we as human beings have a common need that, that before the cross, it doesn't matter what your class is, it doesn't matter what your gender is, it doesn't matter what your sexuality is, it doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is, we all find ourselves level at the foot of the cross saying, I need a Savior. And it's that need and it's that understanding of his love that helps us to say there's something greater that I hold to my primary identity. Anything else that will define us and say, know me by this, besides Jesus Christ, is a false identifier. We, hold, we uphold the sacred differences that God has given to us, but we don't let them become the ultimate definer of our identity. Jesus Christ is. And when Jesus Christ is our ultimate identity, guess what? All the differences that exist in our world become secondary. And there's a solution in a way to find oneness. Jesus is praying for the impossible here. You know, we look at our world today, it is broken. It is fractured. And the solutions that the world's going to give is not going to solve the problem. Here's the issue that we have as the church, is what are we doing with the message of Jesus? What are we doing with the message of Jesus to bring oneness to our world? I remember years ago, this is back in 2016, I was pastoring across the lake in Denver. And um, it, was, it was during the, the Trump-Clinton uh, uh, you know, political season and uh, election season, and everyone's saying, you know, every every four years, every two years, whenever they're, this is the most divided the world's ever been. I'm like, just calm down, okay? I mean, there's been a lot of division, and the, there's wars been fought, okay? And, and so, yes, it, are things bad? Yes, but but you know, they've always been bad, and they always will be bad because they're sinful nature, and we always want to elevate our what I want more than what you want. But one of the things that we recognize is just the just sensing this sense of, man, we is the, what are we doing as the church? And so one of my good friends, Pastor uh, Bishop Franklin Lowry, he pastored a historic black church in Denver. And he and I had developed a great friendship over the years. And one of the things that he says, he came to me one day and said, hey, we got to get the churches together and pray for our nation. I said, let's do it. He said, listen, you have lots of pastor friends who are white. I got a lot of pastor friends who are black. Let's bring them together. I said, we'll do it, but it's got to be at your church. And so he opened up his church, and every Wednesday for about three months, we would meet about eight, eight to 12 pastors that I had known and eight to 12 pastors he had known. We came together, and we, we started praying together every single 
Wednesday morning. I'll never forget, we prayed up until the election, the morning after the election between Trump and Clinton. There was a, do you guys remember that? A little bit of a surprise for, for all of us. And I'll never forget going in there that, that morning. People are kind of in shock. And, and Bishop Lowry gets up and says, listen, some of you in this room are really sad and you're mourning. Some of you in this room are really happy. We said that we've got to find something that's greater than what we're feeling right now about who's in the White House. We started praying together. And we, 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 because there is a mission that Jesus has for his church. And it's greater than who's in the White House. And we've got to understand that the things that the world will use to divide us, we have to reject them and say, no, there's something greater that God is calling us to. The oneness the oneness that Jesus is praying for is impossible without him. And the reason why it's impossible, because this is, notice what Jesus says. He says two things. He says two so that statements. He says, I pray that they may become one. Look at, look at verse uh, 21. I pray that they may be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Whoa, that's pretty intense. Look at, the, look at the second one. He says in verse 20, 23, halfway through, so that the world may know that you have sent me. There is a so that. The, the reason why oneness is so, so foreign to our human experience, that when the world sees the oneness of the disciples of Jesus, the things that the world would say, you shouldn't be able to be friends with that person. When the world sees the love within the body of Christ, the sacrifice the, 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 the one another's, the koinonia, the fellowship, when the world sees the oneness and the love within the body, it's going to create, a, it should create a curiosity across the world saying, how do you get along with that person? See, I believe oneness in the unity of God's church is the missing apologetic in our culture today. We've got to learn, we've got to learn that the differences that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ should never usurp the gospel. And it's, listen, oneness is hard. Oneness is hard. Listen, you, we can't even agree upon what kind of songs we like in this room. You go out to lunch, you're like, I love that song. I, I hated that song. Well, I like this song. Well, I like, I like Pastor Dan's sermon. I like Pastor Ben's sermon better. Like, we, we will just do it. We will find ways to divide. We will find ways to say, my opinion and my ways are better than your ways. And it's from the pit of hell. We have to start remembering that our greater need for say, our, our greater need of Jesus and our greater love for Jesus should, should transcend whatever differences divide us. And that's what Jesus is praying for. This is what Jesus is praying for. Is this a priority for us? That's number one. Prayer fuels oneness. Number two, prayer leads to closeness. Prayer leads to closeness. Look what it says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, so he's, he's praying for the oneness of his future disciples, his future followers. And he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Well, let's just stop right there. Let's just stop right there. Do you, do you get what Jesus is praying for right here? 
Jesus is praying. He's saying, I don't want just, I don't want just the love of my love, the, the love Jesus, the, the love Father that you and I have had with each other from eternity past, the highest form of love, the Trinitarian love. I'm not just praying that they experience the love within the church. What I'm praying, this is what I also want. I also want them to be with me. I desire them to be with me. Listen, Jesus, Jesus wants you. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to be close to me. I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me in heaven. I want you to be with me for eternity. God, here's what I want you to take away. If there's anything you take away from this sermon, here is it. God wants you to be with him forever. He loved you enough to send his son, Jesus. And Jesus is going, to, this is impossible because, you know, our sin separates us from God. We cannot be with God with our own works. We can't earn or, or perform enough for God to say, okay, I'm going to let you into heaven. No, that's not how it works. Our sin has separated us from God. So Jesus came to make the way, and the only way that Jesus made was through the cross, through us, through him, taking the punishment and the penalty for our sins, dying the death we deserved, and then giving to us his righteousness so that we would one day be with him. The love of Christ is so great. I want you to know this. He died for you so that you could be with him. You know, one of the greatest issues that I hear over and over and over when I talk to people, and I struggle with this as well. But when I sit down and talk with people, and they usually when they want to schedule a meeting with me, typically it's over something spiritual, what they're going through in life. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this from someone. You know what? I know God loves me, but I just don't feel close to him. Now, th that may be true. I have felt God distant as well. But the, I, I, this verse right here, this, this thing that Jesus says right here trumps any feeling you have. Because what does he say? I desire that they also whom you have given me will be maybe with me where I am. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He, his desire for you is so great that it cost him his life. He paid the ultimate penalty to suffer and die, to be tortured so that you might have a way to him. Now, I just, I love this idea that the closeness of Jesus, Jesus is praying for closeness. He wants you to be close to him. He, he wants you to experience the fullness of his love. And that's exactly what, it, look how he finishes it. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, that, that, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love, listen to this, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So not only is Jesus saying, I want the love of my, of my disciples to be manifested within the oneness of my church so that the world would see the love and, and say there's something to this, this Jesus thing, but that, that the love of Christ wouldn't just be seen, but it would be multiplied and experienced by so many. This is what Jesus is praying for. I'm praying that those whom you have called, Father, would be with me. I want the love that we have shared before the foundation of the world would be in them and they would experience the kind of love that we have. Think about that. The love of God is so great. 
It's so powerful. It says this in Ephesians 3. We don't have the time to look at it. But in Ephesians 3, at the end of it, Paul is praying in his prayers that we would have the power to comprehend the love of Jesus. You know what that means? It takes supernatural power to even comprehend how much God loves you. It's a miracle. If you understand the love of God, it is a miracle. It's a supernatural work of God. And so what, what, what Jesus is saying is, I, I'm, I'm praying that this love would be multiplied, that, that, that you would understand this love so greatly, and it would multiply out. Listen, when you have experienced something so great, so good, so powerful, so wonderful, then you cannot help but share it. It is something that will change your life. So when we talk about blessing others, being a people of blessing, I've been saying this for weeks. God does not need Jesus salespeople. He doesn't need Jesus salespeople. He needs people that are so captivated by his love, he can't help share it with others. You know, uh, I moved, my wife and I moved down here in 2000. We took a job, a position as a youth pastor at a church down in the university area. And so that for the first six years of when we moved here in 2000, we lived in the university area. The church I worked at was off of Sugar Creek. And um, so I was working there for a few months and someone's like, hey, we're going to go to lunch at Brooks. I was like, what's Brooks? They're like, oh, you haven't had a Brooks burger yet? It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, come with us. So we jump in the car, we go to Brooks. And if you're a longtime Charlatan, you know what Brooks is. You know what Brooks is. Can I get any, any men's here? Okay, some of you, all right. Chad, I see you. Listen, Brooks is the best. If you want the best burger in Charlotte, it's at Brooks. Okay? Moved down here from Pennsylvania. I've had lots of burgers in my life. The best burger in Charlotte. And it is a... Okay, so this is in Noda 23 years ago. You go to Noda 23 years ago, you're like, okay, let's get, at, let's get this food and get out of here. And it was scary. And, and so I remember getting the food, but it's just... just, just Cinder block, tiny building, probably no bigger than this stage. And the little doorway you kind of go in, the, 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 where you order is just kind of as big as, you know, maybe five foot by 10 foot. It's not big at all where you order. And it's kind of like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. You better know what you're going to order or you get out of line. It's one of those places. And if, you need to get a bacon cheeseburger all the way. Trust me. Okay, that is the burger you want to get. And there's no nice seating. It's all outside. He's got this old wooden table that's about 20 feet long and you sit outside with a little awning and you have the best burger of your life. I mean, when I have people visit me and I'm like, hey, I got to take you to Brooks. What's Brooks? And like, I drive up and they're like, uh, are you sure we should get out? I'm like, trust me. We taste the burger and like, when can we come back? You see, when you experience something, when you have something that is so good, what happens? You share it with others. Now, I just found out that Brooks is closing down in a few months. Someone, I was leaving the, the, at, at the end of last service, someone goes like, hey, they're selling the business. It's going, so you got two months to try the best burger in Charlotte. Okay, I've warned you. But I'm telling you, it, it, when you experience something good, you can't help but talk about it. That's what Jesus is saying here. The love, the love by which you have, the, the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus wants to multiply his love. This idea of, of prayer. See, if, we, if, if evangelism, if evangelism is some, just simply a task to do, to check our, our okay, I got to tell people about Jesus, you're missing it. You're missing it. 
What prayer does is it aligns our hearts with God to remember how much we've been loved so that when we share Jesus, it's an overflow of our love. You see, if I had the best burger in Charlotte, you would not find it weird if we were talking at some point and I said, hey, have you, have you tried Brooks? No, what's Brooks? It is the best burger in the world. Then why do we feel like it's so awkward when we say, you know, we bring up something spiritual in nature that, that's so much greater than a burger? It's not awkward. It's not awkward. And what I have found is when you talk to people about spiritual things, they're willing to talk with you about it. Most people are. Here's what I wrote down. Ultimately, how we pray and how often we pray will be a reflection of our love for Jesus and for others. If we want to see the impossible made possible, we've got to begin with prayer. Because prayer transforms our hearts and our minds. So that the mission of God, so that the world may know, takes place. Now, application. What should we do? In light of this passage, I, mean, I, have, I have six application points I'm going to work through really quickly. And that is this. Number one, pray first, pray next, pray last. Pray first, pray next, pray last. One of the things that we see throughout Jesus' life, I mentioned in the beginning of my sermon, Jesus was always praying, always praying. Before, middle, after. Jesus. In fact, it says this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that, that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. So not only did Jesus pray in John 17 in the upper room for you, Jesus is praying now in heaven for you. That's how much Jesus believes in prayer. That's how much Jesus loves prayer. Jesus is praying for us today. And so I want, I want to show you a passage of Scripture that I believe really helps us to practice prayer in what we're talking about. And that's in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. If, if you have um, a Bible, turn in there, but we're going to have the verses on the screen if you want to see them. But, but in, in Ephesians, or sorry, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. That continue steadfastly in prayer is this idea that, yeah, we begin with prayer, but we ought to keep praying and pray over and over and over again. Because listen, there are people in our lives, if we want to bless the world and bless our neighbors and bless our coworkers and bless our spouses and bless the people around us, there are people in your life today that when you look at and say, that person is a lost cause, that person is impossible. And when you, but what prayer does is it changes the narrative. Prayer makes the impossible possible. And I have seen God do some amazing things through prayer. Amazing things. So, so we've got to keep praying. Number two, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open, a may, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So he's praying for opportunities. He's saying, God, open the door. Listen, somebody, when we talk about this, adopting this blessed strategy for our life, the first excuse you might have is, well, I don't know any non-believers, man. I mean, I'm just surrounded by Christians all day. Listen, I promise you this. First of all, most people that are your Christians around you, I guarantee one of them is not a believer. Okay, that's number one. I, I, there's a lot of people that say they're Christians that are. Number two, I promise you this. If you pray that God would give you an opportunity 
to build a relationship with someone who's close to you but far from God, I promise you he will answer that. Now, you could disobey and say, I don't want a friendship, but I promise you he will give you the opportunity. He will give you the opportunity. That's number two. Number three, pray for unbelievers. You know, it takes a supernatural act for anyone to come to know Jesus. It takes a supernatural act for us to fully comprehend the love of Christ. One of the things that the Bible, we don't have time to look at it, but in the Bible, there are, there are times where uh, it talks about how people that are averse to the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus. And it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the, 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 the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they don't even realize they need a Savior. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the Gentiles, talking about that's a term they use for non-believers, have hardened their hearts towards God. And so when I pray for non-believers, when I pray for people that, that I'm praying for that don't know, yet, don't know Jesus yet, what I pray for is God, unveil their minds and soften their hearts and make their hearts receptive to receive the seed of the gospel, the parable of the seed and the sower. That's what I pray for. So when you learn how to pray, when you're praying for unbelievers, pray that prayer. Pray for those three things. Their minds would be unveiled, their hearts would be softened, and their hearts would be, would be good soil to receive the seed of the gospel. Because I know when I'm praying that, I'm praying the Word of God. I'm praying against the enemy. I'm praying against the, the, the issues that are, are the barriers between them and the gospel. So pray for unbelievers. Number four, pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 4. So not only does he pray for an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, that he says this, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Man, that's it right there, right? Some of you don't share anything because like, I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. I get it. I get there, there are so many fears that keep us from obeying Jesus. But what Paul felt, if Paul was the apostle who wrote half the New Testament, was praying, I just need to figure out what to say. Hey, we're all in good company. All of us are in good company. None of us need to let that fear keep us back. So pray for God, help me to know what to say. That's, you know, I know I'm going to be proclaiming the gospel on December 17th when we have this Christmas concert. We're inviting lots of friends and neighbors. I know there's going to be unbelievers here. I know there's going to be people who don't know Jesus that are going to come to this thing. And I'm praying, God, help me to know exactly what to say in that moment. Because I, I, don't, I, I want it to be exactly what you want me to say. I, I just pray. Pray for God to give you the words to say, I promise you he'll do it. Number five, pray with others. Pray with others. If anyone's going to be open to Jesus, usually they're open to prayer first. Typically what I have found, and we've had lots of stories up here. We've shared blessed stories over the past year. What people have, what we have discovered is when you ask someone, hey, can I pray for you? What ends up happening is about 90% of the time they'll say, yeah, pray for me. I cannot tell you how many times I went out to eat and I asked the waiter or waitress or the server, I forget what they call them now. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but whatever you call them now, I asked him to pray for them. And, and I, probably at least five times I can remember someone saying, oh my goodness, I'm having surgery this week or my mom's having surgery this week. Can you pray for them? You don't think God used that moment to let them know, hey, some, God cares for them. And, and so th that's a big leap for some of you, but pray for the opportunity and pray for the boldness so that when God opens up a door Someone shares with you something very difficult that they're going through, say, hey, can I pray for you? You will find that most people will say yes. And then take that opportunity. You don't need to pray an elaborate prayer. It doesn't need to be in the King James English. It could just simply be, God, help, my, help, 
help Susan here, who's struggling, going through a hard time. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's that simple. Pray with others. And then lastly, pray together. Pray together. One of the things that we're going to be doing this year, I know I, know I announced this on Vision Sunday, but in January, we are going to launch a 21 days of prayer campaign for our church. We're going to begin, we're going to take every single day of that, of that, of that first 21 days of the year and begin our year with combined prayer as a church. We are, it's not just us. We're actually joining hundreds, if not thousands, of churches across the world. I want to, I'm going to pull up a, a website for you to take a look at. Um, this is a campaign that was started by a pastor and professor of Liberty University. Um, Dave Early is his name. And the website's 21 Days Prayer. Not 21 Days of Prayer, but 21 Days of Prayer. And he, we are handing out this morning. As you leave this morning, I want you to stop by the table and pick up a book it's called the 21 Most Effective Prayers of the Bible. And what we're asking you to do is for every day, the first 21 days of January, day one, read that prayer, pray that prayer, and read the little thing that goes along with it. And just go through the book that, that we're going to give you. Now, we're going to give one book per family. Uh, if you want to order more books, you can, um, you can go on that website, order more books for your family if you'd like. Uh, we also, this is a, they've developed this campaign where there's going to be, we, there's going to be daily emails. And so what we've put on the back of the book is a QR code for you to scan that QR code. You can, you can sign up as many people that in your family that want to receive the daily emails on this prayer. There's going to be, there's going to be worldwide prayer meetings on Facebook for this prayer event. But, but what we're hoping is that, that when we begin this campaign of prayer, God is going to show us. He's going to lead us to do something that we are, we are still waiting in anticipation because here's what we know. I said this before. I'm going to say it again. The vision that God has for us to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond is, is beyond what we can do. Our church cannot do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not a good enough leader to see us accomplish the vision that God's given our church. But I do know this. God knows how to accomplish that vision. God does. And the reason why I believe God's work, I, I shared with this with you last week, but there are a number of churches that have come together in the city of Charlotte that are, that are renting out the Bojangles Coliseum for two days next September. And what I didn't share with you is the story of how that came into being. Something you may not be aware of is that in, in 2022, in the spring of 2022, there were 200 prayer intercessors from South Korea that flew on their own money to come out to the United States, to, and they chose 20 cities to pray over and in for, for a week, spent an entire week of prayer. And they, 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 they picked strategic cities, and one of the, one of the reasons for this was because they were, it was coming up on the 50-year anniversary of when Billy Graham went to South Korea, and he had a crusade there where they saw over 3.2 million people come to know Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. And so what these believers that have experienced the movement of God across their nation, some of the largest churches in the world are in South Korea. You might not have known that. And so, so one of the things that they do, they've seen America, they see the, the, the state of America, they see the moral degradation of America, and they say, guess what? We believe that we, we, if the, as goes America, so goes the world. The, the, the 200 intercessors, the prayers that came, they're not pastors, 
They're not missionaries. They are regular people that just live, have regular jobs, but they believe in the power of prayer. I don't think it's any coincidence that in 2022, there was a prayer movement that came over here that prayed in 2022. And a few months later, there was an outbreak of revival in Asbury University. I don't believe there's any coincidence to that. This, this past year, 2023, they sent 400 prayer intercessors. But the bulk of the people that they sent, they sent to Charlotte, North Carolina. Because they believe that, that God's going to do something in this city. They believe that the birthplace of Billy Graham is, is they want to see a movement begin here again. And God started using their, these, these prayer movements across our city to infect other pastors and leaders, Christian leaders across our city, where we said, hey, let's do something about this. The reason why there's an event in about nine months, ten months, whatever it is, is because it began with prayer. I, I don't have all the answers of what this 21 days of prayer is going to do for our church or what it's going to do for you, but I do know this, it will change us. It will change us if we allow it. And I'm encouraging you to take the step and say, you know what, sign me up. I'm going to pray for 21 days. Not only are we going to pray for 21 days, what we're going to do also is every Sunday during that 21 days, so at the 7th, 14th, and 21st, I will take the prayer of that day and preach over it. So we are really immersing ourselves in this prayer initiative. And then on the 21st, what we're going to ask our church to do collectively is fast on that day. To spend a day praying and fasting, and that night come together and have a prayer service just focused on prayer, and we're, we will break our fast with communion. Because we, here's what I know. There's a lot of things I believe God is leading us to do. There's been a lot of prayer, a lot of planning, a lot of strategy, a lot of, a lot of organization that has led us up to this moment. We, had, we launched our new vision about six or seven weeks ago, and now we're getting to the edge of saying, okay, God, what is next? What is the next year? What is the next two years? What does the next five years look like? I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. We're going to pray and ask God for them. We're going to ask God for the strategy. We're going to ask God for the plan. We're going to ask God for the ideas. And I believe if we are faithful to pray, we will see the power of God. I believe if we are faithful to pray first, we will see the impossible possible. There's, some, there, there's an impossible in your life right now. Listen to me. There's an impossible in some of your lives right now that you cannot imagine God changing. I'm here to tell you that it will and it can. Will you, will you give your heart what Jesus prayed for, what, Je, what, was, what was God's grand, what Jesus' grand prayer for his disciples, the oneness, the closeness, the impossibleness of it all to bear fruit in this world? What else can we ask God for to do? That's the invitation, and I hope you'll take it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we close our time here today, what is the application that God is leading you to do? How does He want you to pray? What is the prayer initiative? What is the prayer focus? What is the prayer step that He's calling you to live out? For some of you, Maybe it's that, that idea of, of praying for opportunities, 
Praying for people in your life that, that, would, that you could build a relationship with. Maybe it's praying for boldness for you because, man, the opportunities just seem to go by you and you feel defeated and, over, and overwhelmed, not knowing what to say. Maybe there's that person in your life who's not a follower of Jesus and your heart is broken over their spiritual state. And so maybe what, they, what you need to do is recommit your life to saying, I'm willing to keep praying for them. No matter how many years, no matter how many weeks, months it takes, I'm going to pray for them. And maybe the commitment is, Ben, I'm going to begin 2024 with 21 days of focused prayer. I'm going to take a book today and you can count on me January 1st to read and pray through this prayer. Whatever God's calling you to do, let's be obedient to follow him. Before I pray, Lastly, you might be sitting here this morning and there might be something going on in your life where you need prayer yourself right now. We have a prayer team out in the lobby. Whether you have questions about faith, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, maybe there's something going on in your life, work-wise, health-wise, family-wise, but you just need someone to pray with. They have white lanyards out in the lobby and they're looking for people to pray for. So go, go meet them and whatever's burdening your heart, just go talk to them. You receive the love of Jesus. In a, in a tangible way. Father, I pray right now as we get ready to sing this final song that we would remember to begin all things with prayer. That Jesus, you have a desire to make the impossible possible. The things that Jesus prayed for, Lord, we still crave to see happen today. So God, may we be agents of change, agents who, who want to continue on the, the way that you prayed so that the world would know and believe that Jesus has come. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.